0: There's an old saying that journalists run into places other people run away from. That was perhaps never more true than on September 11th, 2001. Journalists went towards the danger. Even when nagging voices inside their heads sometimes asked, Why are you doing this? Welcome to Reporting on 9-11, where we hear the emotional, true stories of local journalists who brought us news from the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, two decades ago. I'm your host, David DeRoche. In this episode, we're gonna hear from local TV news reporter, Suzanne Kennedy. She was one of the first journalists to head to the Pentagon on 9-11. But what viewers didn't know was that she was carrying a secret. On September 11th, Suzanne had been a local TV news reporter for 13 years, the last five at Washington, D.C.'s ABC affiliate. That day, her morning started off just like any other.
1: At the time, I was a nightside reporter. So that meant I went in at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so typically, I would talk in the mornings with a friend of mine uh, who was an editor at the station. We'd talk around 8.30 in the morning, just the sort of our habit, because we were both nightside people. And we were... Talking on the phone, our usual thing, I was eating a bowl of oatmeal, and we saw the plane hit the World Trade Center, and both of us immediately said goodbye and hung up the phone. And I quickly got dressed. I went into work knowing, even though I wasn't doing for about another seven or eight hours, uh, I knew it was an all-hands-on-deck situation. And so I went into work, and they immediately sent me to the Pentagon, And so I headed out with a photographer at that time.
0: Suzanne noticed a lot of people in cars and on foot as she crossed a bridge from D.C. into Arlington, Virginia.
1: All we could see was both sides of the span filled with people walking out of Washington. So it was just chaos. People were leaving the city not knowing what was going on. So while all these people are literally running, fleeing, not getting into the metro, were headed down to the Pentagon. It took us a long time to get there. And we could see the smoke as we were coming down into Rock Creek Park. You could see the smoke coming from the Pentagon. And not knowing exactly how bad it was, it looked like a very bad, maybe industrial fire or something along those lines. And the smoke continued all day. And we just At that time, had no idea how significant of an event this would be. You know, when you're a reporter, you sort of distance yourself from the event at hand, a homicide, a fire, a lost child. And you just look for facts, you look for information, you look for people to help you tell your stories, but you don't really think about the magnitude of what you're doing. So we immediately went into that mode. We were on, obviously, around the clock. And, you know, little did I know at that point, I would be at the Pentagon for the next two weeks from noon until midnight.
0: The first day's stories were just the nuts and bolts, telling viewers what happened and what she saw.
1: I remember at the end of the day, just as it was getting about 7, thirty, one one of the pivotal moments, which I'm sure you've seen, is them dropping the flag down the side of it. We didn't have any idea that Arlington fire department was going to do that it was just one of those spontaneous moments so that became sort of a story of that night along with several other things and if i can describe the pentagon so the pentagon is in one area then there's a highway then there's some grassy space and there's another roadway and then there was this px gas station so we were not far but there was a lot of distance between us and there was really no place initially for friends and family to go So some people who had loved ones who were in those three rings of the Pentagon that were hit, they didn't really have any place to go. So they were sitting in the PX with us in the gas station, just sitting waiting to hear, like, did they find them what was going on? Because it was such an emergent situation, they didn't want people at the Pentagon, obviously. And so people were sitting there waiting to know if their family member, that friend who worked for the DOD, had been killed. And that was heartbreaking to watch people not knowing and coming to us and asking, did you hear anything? Do you know anything? Was this office impacted? Do you know if they're going to bring us somewhere? There was just so much going on that they had not sort of gotten down to setting up space and a place for these victims' families to wait. So it was was terrible those first couple days.
0: The next afternoon, Suzanne and a photographer got to see the destruction firsthand. Firefighters took them and several other journalists to the crash site. She says what she saw was unbelievable.
1: They pulled up a big van that did about 20 of us, and we were driven down. We were the first group to get down to the crash site, still smoking, plane still there. And I don't like to use this word because I do think it's overused, but it was surreal. Um. We were able to get out. We were able to videotape the wreckage from a closer perspective than anyone had been over the last 36 to 45 hours or so. And we were able to be down there and we didn't have a long time. We probably have less than 10 minutes, but we were able to get the first pictures out of there. And it was just massive. This enormous plane plunged through three layers of a five-layer building it was at that point we knew what had happened we, we were starting to get an understanding truly of what had happened and to see it up close you can never scrub that image from your mind you just can't and as a person who had never really grown up during a war it was The closest I'll probably ever be to a war zone, seeing that plane sticking out of a building that was supposed to represent defending our country.
0: Being surrounded by all that death and destruction would be hard on anyone. But something else was nagging at Suzanne. She was carrying a secret.
1: You're told your whole life, you know, stay out of trouble, stay safe. But as a journalist, you're heading right into it all the time, no matter what it is, whether it's a fire, hurricane. I think there is a part of you as a journalist where the adrenaline sort of tells you, just do it and don't think about it. The odd thing about this is that nobody knew at the time, but I was four months pregnant. And so here I am, four months pregnant, going into this incredibly dangerous situation I had a box of sandwich bags that I would throw up in zip them out and go throw them by the Salvation Army truck because they had canteen there. The guys at the canteen thought it was the biggest riot in the world and they'd hand me a ginger ale and oh, thank you. And then I'd go back to the truck and go on my merry way. And, you know, maybe I should have said, I can't take this assignment or I can't do this. But as a journalist, you don't really have that sensibility in the moment and so as we worked our way through those first couple days and in into the two-week period that I was stationed down there I did have those moments of I cannot believe I'm bringing a child into this world but you push through and you understand that in a lot of ways as a journalist you're a public servant you know you're on public airwaves and even though you don't take an oath, you have a charge to tell stories truthfully and to the best of your ability and provide information that helps people in their lives. And although I'm not a reporter anymore, I took that very seriously and I still take it very seriously. It was an honor to be there because it was so important and so critical to tell the story with dignity and respect and poise and calm despite what maybe I was feeling actually physically and emotionally, But I didn't think twice about not going or I didn't think twice about this is gonna be dangerous or hard or emotionally draining, you just go.
0: In the years that followed 9-11, Suzanne stayed on as a local news reporter in DC. She left the news business in 2020 and now she works as a media trainer and crisis communications consultant. She teaches first responders how to deal with the media during disasters. But her time at the Pentagon two decades ago is still vivid in her mind.
1: Every year, a flood of memories come back and a sense of, I cannot believe that we went through that. And every single September 11th, I text my friend who I was on the phone with. At the time, the planes went into the World Trade Center and we just have a moment and say, I love you, you love me, you know? And we we move on, but we mark another anniversary. But it was so meaningful to me that I had those shared experiences with that friend of mine who's a video was a videotape operator, the very good friend of mine who was the photographer who I went down there with. Those things will always stick in my mind, and then I'll always think to myself that I was, you know, pregnant and bringing you know my 19 year old son now into the world. I'd like to say it's one of the biggest honors of my life, being a part of that story and being able to tell it and hopefully doing a good job at telling it.
0: Thank you for listening to Reporting on 9-11. This episode was reported, written, edited, and produced by Ben Gardis, a journalism professor at Quinnipiac University and hosted by me, David DeRoche. I'm the director of community programming at the university. Special thanks for this episode go out to Suzanne Kennedy, Quinnipiac University's School of Communications, and the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio, where this episode was recorded. For more stories from journalists who covered 9-11, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and also be sure to check out the other shows produced here at the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio by heading over to quuedu slash podcast.